Welcome to the Hills Church Podcast. Hills Church is a four-square church in Laguna Hills, California. Visit us on the web at hillschurchoc.com. Hey, uh, this is my this is my friend Aaron Bond. Um, Aaron is the are you the chair of the Bible department or the stool of the Bible department? <laughs> <laughs> Depends what side of the table. You're on, right? <laughs> uh, I'm the head of the Bible department at uh, Capistrano Valley Christian Schools in San Juan Capistrano. Yeah, uh, yeah, we've been able to connect over these uh, last uh, last few years as the church has. Um, allowed me to become more and more a part of uh, more and more a part of the ministry of the school and uh, um, I invited Aaron today one probably because you all are getting a little tired of just hearing me um, but also because uh, that I heard you laugh Shauna <laughs> um, we uh, I wanted to, to bring in uh, another person's uh, perspective onto this journey that we've been in. In fact, Aaron, in fact, all the years that we've been friends, never heard much about kind of your story. You are married. Um, you have a son. Tell us a little bit about uh, Aaron Bond. Yeah, so I, uh, I grew up in the Midwest and uh, went to school at Wheaton College where I got a Bible and communication degree. Um, used that to start my professional career in Texas for 10 years where I taught in a Christian school. Um, I taught history and English. I coached basketball and tennis and soccer. Um, met my wife, who was a Biola grad. She's at home sick today, so hope you feel better, babe. Um, and we spent 10 years in Texas. Um, my wife was a volleyball player, and uh, we went from Texas. She got a job coaching at Boise State where we spent um, six years in Idaho, which is an amazing place. We adopted our little boy, Jeremiah, um, 10 years ago. He just turned 10 um, a month ago. And um, in 2012, um, God opened the door for us to move back to Orange County, where my wife's parents are, are near here. And um, we originally said no, because it's so expensive to live here. Uh, but it's so amazing to live here, too. When it's not raining, it's gorgeous. <laughs> and the waves, and um, it's gorgeous now that it's raining and it's green. And so we, uh, we said no, and then we realized that the Lord just made us uncomfortable with that decision. And so we actually changed our mind and moved down here. Uh, my wife started teaching at Capistrano Valley Christian School seven years ago and coaching volleyball. And then I joined the faculty six years ago as a Bible teacher. I know this summer, in the summers, uh, this last summer, and I would run into each other in passing at school in the summer, whether I'm at uh, basketball workouts or, or baseball workouts, and we both would always have our paddle boards strapped to the top, although when his is strapped to the top, he's got this cool, what, 78 Westphalia uh, uh, VW 84. van, 84. VW van, yeah. So uh, his, his looks a little, his is a little bit cooler than my Ford Edge. Uh, uh, strapped on, but uh, so we'll have to make sure that this summer we uh, get out to the harbor. I'll and, take you for a ride in the van. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so in this series, like Why Jesus, it has not been this like comparative religion class. This is not to say why 
we're better than them because so many of the conversations like this tend to default to that, don't they? We use our text to prove our uh, correctness and to show other people that they're wrong and they say, well, your text doesn't apply to me and you know your system doesn't work for me and this and and those debates or that type of information doesn't always help us understand the process in fact one of the books that uh, I used to read um, probably for 12 years I read it every single year just as part of my own personal growth plan was called um, uh, the habits, uh, seven habits for highly effective people. And the first habit is seek first to understand, then to be understood. And what I began to understand, uh, think about was that I really don't understand the approach or the, the worldview, the ethics or the principles that were behind these, these ways of thought that have captured the minds and hearts of so many people around around the world and so um, we've been talking through various worldviews and about how these types of perspectives and why these expressions of faith have been cultivated into these cultures and into these habits um, it really develops from this thing that we've been talking about called a, a worldview. So Aaron, again, let's talk about this idea of worldview. How is someone's, uh, John, if you would put my, my PowerPoint up, please. How is someone's worldview really developed? And, and then not just developed, like how does it get passed down or communicated or, or kind of disseminated? So one of the things I teach at uh, CVCS is uh, apologetics and worldview. And the way that we approach this topic is every religion um, is telling a story. And that story attempts to um, claim to be the true story of reality. And so one of the easiest ways to get students to understand this is kind of um, paralleling it to the concept of what movies do. Movies tell stories. And there's different types of movies. There's action adventure, there's mysteries, there's romantic comedies, uh, there's documentaries. And even though there's different genres or ideas of movies, uh, for a movie to make an impact, it has to answer basically the same three questions. And whether you're a religion uh, that believes in many gods or a god or no god, um, these religions like these movies are telling a story about reality and they're answering the same three questions. Um, there's more questions you could add to these, but the fundamental three questions that a movie will use to engage us and that a religion will claim to answer, um, the first one is the question of origin. And that is, where do we come from? Um, when you're watching a movie, right, then the writers spend some time with some character development. Where did this character come from? Why should I cheer for them? Why should I not cheer for them? Uh, they spend some time trying to connect you with the setting and the background. Um, and religions all have an origin story as well. Um, Sorry. Wow. Go ahead. You're hearing yourself. You're hearing the voice in the head as well. That's scary. <laughs> um, the second question is a problem, right? And that's what went wrong. Every great story has a great conflict, right? No conflict, no interesting story. 
And so uh, whether it's Sherlock Holmes trying to solve uh, a mystery or whether it's the young single guy trying to capture the heart of the girl who's way out of his league, every movie has a conflict or a challenge that has to be overcome. Every religion has a different explanation for what's wrong with this place. There's no person and there's no religion and there's no culture that I know of that would claim that this place is all that it should be. There's pain, there's suffering, there's loss, there's hurt, there's betrayal. Right. And so where do those things come from? Why do I have to experience those things? Those are real questions that people ask. And they're necessary questions. Um, and then the third question that a movie will provide is a solution, right? How does the hero solve the mystery, defeat the bad guy? How does the guy capture the heart of the girl? Um, and the solution question asks, how can it be made right again? And so in every religion, uh, to be consistent internally, the solution has to be an answer to the problem and the problem has to grow out of the origin. And so all of these answers to these questions are connected. If you don't believe that we come from God, if you're an atheist, then it doesn't make any sense to have some made-up God be part of the problem or part of the solution. And so what we want to do today is dig around a little bit through these three questions and understand what is the appeal and what's the attraction and why do people buy into these other stories, and why do they tell themselves these other stories? Um, what is the truth in these other stories? And more importantly, um, where do these stories fall short in a way that we can understand that Christianity has the, the answers? Now, to be able to stay tracking with our um, conversation today, go ahead and grab your phone. If you have the Bible app, right, by version. Um, the Bible app by version. the notes for today's discussion are on there. So if you have that, but thank you. I'm glad you got the message. Um, uh, so you can track along with uh, our discussion and write your own notes and your own thoughts. And in fact, if there's time, uh, Aaron and I will actually take some questions at the end of today. Because over these last three, over these last three weeks, uh, again, if you're looking for the notes today, Click on the Bible app. It has to be the one by you version. On the menu, it says events. If you have location services turned on, meaning that Google can track you everywhere that you go, um, uh, you can click on and uh, today's notes, uh, it will automatically, uh, I got you. Um, okay, so there we go. Um, and you can you can track uh, today's notes. Now, over these last three weeks in this journey called Why Jesus, we've looked at and talked about the question, is mankind really designed to believe? Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. And there is some thought to the idea when Paul is addressing people who are looking for answers on Mars Hill, as he's addressing the philosophers of Athens, he said that God is near to you and is ready to be found by you. So there is an assumption that there is something in the heart of man that yearns for greater meaning, that yearns for greater purpose, that has a sense of destiny, that wants all these things to make sense. But because of challenges 
to these three questions, right? The origin problem, the origin question, the, the problem situation, the solution question. So many times mankind has come up with their own answers to these questions. Now some of the solutions about our response, uh, because what gets exposed, the reason why we ask these questions is because what's really exposed in us is our own ignorance. It doesn't mean we're stupid, it just means we don't, we don't know why some things happen. We struggle with not having the answers to some of these questions. And it also exposes that we're kind of uh, impotent. Like we don't have the power to fix things or to make them the way that we think that they should be. And so we create these systems of belief that we attribute this type of, of power or force or whatever, sometimes to... We, we attribute it to things that we can't see, right? That's why we have things like um, uh, astronomy uh, uh, and the astrological issues, right? The, the stars have something to do with this. Or we make uh, idols. Uh, native, uh, uh, native peoples would make totem poles that would tell a story of, that would answer some of these questions. That uh, there's different uh, cultures that have... Uh, a, a belief structure, a story that they tell that tries to solve these types of problems. They actually make gods, small g gods, out of these things. They, it's, the, it's the reason, the answers that they make. There are also um, approaches that says, no, listen, mankind is endowed with a certain level of skill and of influence, of, of intelligence, and that maybe if we tap more into ourselves, we unlock the power of the human brain, we unlock the force of human potential, that maybe we can even in ourselves become godlike in some kind of sense. Like we can evolve to some higher plane and, and achieve this nirvana. Although I don't know that that's really a great solution because who wants nothing, right? It sounds like the conclusion that the author came to in the book of Ecclesiastes, that really if the end of this is just kind of nothing, what is it, what's it all about anyway? Now, there are other human religions we create that have rituals and restrictions and rules and guidelines that set up, that measure someone's devotion and their discipline by whether or not they adhere to the rules. And what's interesting, when humans create their own religions, they start to become more restrictive and more exclusive because you have to make a new rule every time somebody has a question. You have to make a new way to measure whether or not someone is devout or whether or not they're really a, a follower. But there are other religion, systems of belief and worldviews that reject the concept of God kind of altogether. We mentioned already atheism a little bit. There's the idea of humanism and scientism. And so we're going to spend some time talking about those three in particular. And so, Aaron, let's start with science. What really is scientism? So, <clears throat> first of all, I appreciate the approach that you're taking here to understand um, what it is these people believe um, and then why they believe it, right? It's, right. You don't want to get into debate um, or... A, confrontation. And I think one of the most helpful ways in having a discussion with someone who thinks differently than you is to ask two questions. The first one is, what do you believe? 
And then you listen. And you learn. And then the second question you ask is, well, why do you believe that? In other words, what's the evidence? What's the support? Um, what's the reasoning behind this? And so all three of these humanistic, human-centered isms today are, are related and they overlap. And so the first one, scientism, is kind of the, the gasoline in the engine that provides a lot of the evidence for humanist and atheist thinking. And scientism is basically the belief that um, it's, it's a question of truth and a question of knowledge. Scientism states that science is the only way we can arrive at truth. Now, there's the only way that you can know whether or not something is true or something is real, or, or something is real, is it has to be proven scientifically. Now, there's a long history behind this idea that I don't have time to go into and probably put you asleep. But it's an idea that developed about 300 years ago, uh, 1700s, growing out of the scientific revolution and all the great discoveries um, that were made that led to the nice technology that we have today, uh, followed by the Enlightenment. And um, science has opened the door for us to understand some things about how the world works. We know that people get sick today because there is uh, bacteria and there's germs. Right? You don't get sick because a black cat walks in front of you or you know, some other crazy connection. And so as science is able to discover some things about how the world functioned, and the church was a little bit slow to um, respond to that or acknowledge that, there became this shift in society between people that looked for truth in the sciences through what you could observe, what you could test, what you could um, know empirically to be true, and the idea that truth was found disconnected from that just through faith. And the reason why scientism is such an important um, idea today is that there's this dichotomy that is sometimes presented to us in culture that religion and science are enemies. Right? You have to make a, a choice. You either trust the biology, uh, and the physics, and the chemistry, or you trust in this ancient book, this Bible, um, that's from a different culture 2,000 years ago with strange rules about what to eat and what to wear. And the reasonable, educated uh, person is going to go with what they know to be true through scientific discovery. Now, the, the interesting thing about that is, like, we have learned, right, there, I mean, no offense to Antonio Brown, the, uh, or athletes that think that the world still is flat, right? Um, uh, oh, yeah, Kyrie. If you're watching Kyrie, we still have lots of love for you. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> but, but um, science, um, it, the funny thing is that most of the scientists come out of a church tradition, especially in the Enlightenment, stuff like this. And that was a conflict, right? Because the reason why we don't always want to understand is because it's a, it's a threat. Because it exposes the things that we don't know. And so science can explain a lot. But science can't explain everything. But people make that, make that jump. So what is it in the realms of science that give us, as Christ followers, that reinforce our worldview? What, what would give, in science, a reason to believe? Great question. So, 
Science isn't something that we need to be afraid of. I think you just, okay. yep. Just look for the green. Check, check. There you go. Science isn't something that um, we should be afraid of, right? Truths that are discovered in science ultimately are going to point back to the creator. And they're going to give us a, a deeper understanding of who God is and how he works. Um, that being said, there are some things in science that really help confirm the Christian story. Um, it's widely accepted now that science started, or that the, the universe started with a Big Bang. Um, before that, it was believed that the universe was uh, just eternally old, that it had no beginning, that matter was um, in existence forever. And uh, the scientific idea in play now that the universe had a beginning actually um, plays into the Christian story that there is a beginner. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of different proofs that we could give and talk about that. I'm just going to let that sit there, and you guys can pick up that thread if you want to study it on your own. Um, but the other ways that science helps us um, with our faith, um, one, uh, the threat that science oftentimes has in the realm of Christianity is that it does away with miracles, right? Um, if there's a natural explanation for everything, then miracles become impossible is the argument. However, if God created this world and he allows it to run through some natural processes that he set up, uh, science is a wonderful reflection of how God has chosen to normally operate in the world that he created. Because the world is regular, um, the sun comes up, um, we have regular seasons. Uh, there's seasons of rain and seasons of dryness because um, our bodies work in a regular way, right? That's the basis, actually, for science. Right. Science is testing that regularity to see what they can learn. The flip side of that is it also allows us to recognize a miracle when it shows up because it's something irregular. It's something beyond the normal. And so science both can help us um, see how God has chosen to regularly set up this world to operate, and it also, ironically, um, allows us to recognize a miracle when it shows up because it's going against the regular flow of how he set things up to work. Um, the last way that science, I think, really um, today I want to share with you can help us with our faith is when you look at the fine-tuning of the universe we live in. This blew my mind when I started to, to study this stuff, but um, the planet we live on is able to have life on it because there are certain scientific factors that are dialed into a very specific range of values. Um, we have to live in the right type of galaxy that has the right shape. We have to have the right type of sun that's the right age, that burns at just the right rate. Um, our location from the sun has to be just right. If it was too close, we would burn up. If it was just a little bit further, things would, would freeze. Um, the core of our planet, the size of the crust of our planet, the atmosphere we have, there's about probably 300 things that have to fit together for life to function. 
And that's on the, and that's on like the macro level. When you start to get to the micro level, get into our body's function and the organization of DNA and the fact that um, DNA basically is a blueprint. It's information for how our bodies function. As soon as you get into this idea of our DNA having information, you get into the idea that there has to be a mind to organize that information. Now, the line of thought in, in a Christian world that would describe that is what we call intelligent design. Has anybody heard that, that phrase before, right? The, the intelligent design community. And, and even with that, you know, the hardcore people would be like, you guys are like pushing this connection. But because they don't have a origin story or they, or they try to discover one, it still makes it very, very difficult. Now, this idea of fact versus faith, um, the, the challenge that people have intellectually making sense of all of this is one of the challenges, but it serves as kind of this foundation as we keep going down this road, because some people just don't look to science, they just look to themselves. Look at what, look at what civilization has accomplished over the years. A few, a few um, weeks ago, we showed these massive structures that were built in, in prehistoric times uh, that we that we can't even imagine how they were accomplished, and there's something about in the the strength of man and in the brotherhood of man that humanity maybe has some kind of these answers, and this is called this idea of humanism. Maybe unpack the idea of what humanism is for us a little bit more, Aaron. So humanism is a um, problem of basically the will, right? And when you look at all that humans have accomplished in life including these little devices that we all carry in our pockets. Right, these are amazing. I can talk to someone across the world in live time and see their face. I mean, this is stuff when I was growing up on the Jetsons, I was like, yeah, that's gonna happen never. And here it is a reality. And so um, humanism is basically the idea that um, humans have within themselves this unlimited potential to create a world of uh, ultimate good and tolerance. And when you just look at what we've discovered, all the problems we've solved, um, all the ways that we've conquered nature and made it subservient to allow humans to live in places like the desert with air conditioning and figuring out water problems. Um, one of the natural inclinations of that is the human ingenuity and creativity and ability to solve problems is incredible. We should focus more on that because it actually solves practical problems than focusing on some God you can't see or feel or hear from. And so humanism is this really kind of natural, I think, outgrowth of um, celebrating human achievement and honoring human achievement and just if you don't have a God story, it makes sense that this would be a place where you would invest some thought and effort because we have created um, so many advancements. It's interesting in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, one of the things that God said when he came down and that he scattered um, them through languages is God said, if these people put their mind to it, they can accomplish whatever they want. And so there is something about being human that speaks to our greatness of being made in God's image. Um, but there's also something in our brokenness, mankind's brokenness, that the reason why we don't accomplish more is because we can't agree on anything. 
And, and those are the types of, because, because what I really want to do, the other side of the story of the human existence is that it is a story of wills. And not a story of mankind's will against God's will. It is, I'm in charge because I can impose my will and my ideas on you. Yes. And that is one of the challenges why this becomes a very difficult uh, journey to, to, uh, for this. So, so how does humanism, like, where does it start to fall apart, do you think? I think just at the very point in which you brought up that um, within human greatness and our ability to do so much and solve problems, there also is a deep flaw in the human character. We're deeply broken. Um, and, our, and humanism doesn't even want to acknowledge that. Uh, even some of the greatest leaders that they would attribute through history, they only look for the people who maybe have accomplished, in their opinion, what is good. So one of the people that's helpful uh, for me in this is the, the German theologian, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. And Nietzsche was famous for a quote that he gave um, called, he said, God is dead, and we've killed him. And what Nietzsche was saying there is that society in his time uh, had progressed to such a point where we no longer needed God to explain how things worked. Humans had progressed and um, developed to the point where the need to trust in a God was no longer something that we had to have. And Nietzsche thought that this was a good, this was a good place to be. We had put to bed the myth of religion and because God is dead, um, what Nietzsche saw out of that, though, was that there would be a what he called a will to power. That there would be a, a group of men that in their resources and in their strength would rise up and by their own force of will impose their way of life on other people. Yeah. And so the issue with humanism is, yes, we can accomplish a lot, but when you take God out of the picture and you remove that standard and you don't acknowledge our brokenness, Right? It's uh, like setting two street fighters <laughs> free. There's going to be a brawl. Right. And there's going to be blood. And there's going to be one person who takes advantage of another because they can. Right. Because they want their way. And so as much human progress has been made, some of that technology has opened the door for some um, epic tragedy as well. And that's the story of humanity, not just in the scripture, but throughout our history. One other philosopher has said, I don't know if God exists, but it would be better for his reputation if he didn't. Uh, right? This idea that, that, that maybe it would just be better if that was completely pulled out of the picture. And some people have come to the conclusion that the only way that this thing is going to make sense is to come to that kind of conclusion. Now, now for us in this room, the idea of atheism is about as, as evil. Uh, somehow that's like Darth Vader uh, level kind of stuff. But atheism is... Uh, for many people, the only thoughtful or rational conclusion that could become. Uh, how, how do people come to this conclusion that maybe there really isn't, there really isn't, a, uh, there really isn't God? There's a lot of ways that people become an atheist. Um, some of them are intellectual questions that don't get answered adequately. Um, but the friends that I have that are atheists and the people that I've talked to, there is, uh, a pain and a suffering and a hurt that um, drove a wedge between them and their ability to trust in the goodness of God. And 
rather than looking at them as the enemy, that actually breaks my heart, right? I have, um, when I sit and listen to my atheist friends, they ask really good questions. They're thoughtful. Some of them have even said, I want to believe based on the evidence. And the evidence from my experience, the pain and the hurt and the loss that I've experienced, I've got to figure this out before I can trust in the type of God you're talking about. And so the, the beauty of um, talking to an atheist, I think, is really recognizing that if scientism is a problem of the intellect, and humanism is a problem of the will, and we're choosing to celebrate human um, achievement. Atheism um, is really a problem of the heart, right? It's a problem of hurting and trying to find an answer to the troubles that we all experience in life. Now, that, now that would seem kind of degrading, that really what we're saying is, oh, they're the most broken, these poor people, let's pity, and I'll tell you what, they're usually often the most thoughtful, the most reasoned, the people who are often most in touch with their life's journey. And I don't want to put them off just for this sake of, like, just saying, uh, well, you might be smart, but you're broke. I mean, who, that, that's not a very healthy way to do this, but I will, I want to point back to the scripture in in fact, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to, to open your Bibles to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. I don't think that I have this verse on the screen. Uh, I do. I do. Uh, look at what it says here in verses 17 to 18. That you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. And, and who are the Gentiles? The Gentiles are the people who don't know God. While it describes multi-ethnics, uh, multi-ethnic and different cultures, for our conversation, it, it describes everybody who doesn't know God. And the way that you know God is whether or not you've experienced his goodness, whether or not you feel you've experienced his goodness. Um, and it says here, don't walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And look at this journey. They have their understanding darkened. They have been alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. In fact, another version says it like this, and I love this. Um, they are strangers to the life of God because ultimately they have closed their minds to him and they have turned their hearts away from him. Now you tell me, when you have when you can't come to the right solution, when you don't have the right answer, the easiest thing to do is to what? Pack it up and put it away. In fact, that's what most of us do with circumstances and situations in our, in our lives. And so, Aaron, let's, let's go back to the original question, right? The, 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 the story question. We've, we've seen maybe how these three isms uh, based in mankind's own self-sufficiency, um, get processed. But what does faith in Jesus Christ, how does that really provide for us a solution uh, to these questions? So I think remembering the Christian story. How does the Christian story answer the questions of origin, problem, and solution? Um, 
Christianity is a religion that you should believe because you're convinced that it's true, that there's evidence. But that truth should also affect your heart, your emotions. It should shape your will, um, what you do, how you live. I like to say that a well-balanced Christianity shapes our head and our heart and our hands. And you want to be growing in all three of those areas. So the Christian origin story in Genesis 1 is that uh, God created the world, and he made us as the pinnacle of this creation in his image. Um, We have greatness placed within us because uh, we're made in the image of a great God. And yet, our problem, the Bible says in Genesis 3, is the fall, that we took that greatness and we wanted to be like God. We wanted to be God. We wanted to sit in his place. We thought we knew better. And uh, that's what the story of the fall communicates to us, that um, that choice to be God broke us. And it put us in a, in a job that was too big for us to handle, and we've been trying to recover from that um, ever since. And so our problem is this sin. It's this rebellion. It's this turning away from God. And the hard part and the great part of the Christian story is the solution We're so broken that the solution can't come from us, right? Christianity tells us that the solution has to come from God himself. It has to come from someone outside of us, someone who's capable of restoring us to who we were created to be. And that's the story of Jesus. Becoming God, um, being God, (laughs) he was God, becoming man, Entering into our brokenness, into our pain, into our suffering. And this is really where the the problem of evil in Christianity, I think, shines, is that God came to earth to suffer for us and to suffer with us. You, You might want to write that down, because that's something really important to remember. If atheism is true... God doesn't try to prevent all this stuff, and that's what we get frustrated with God is, is that we think that he should be preventing it. Instead, he participates in it with us, right? Um, that he goes, say it again, he goes, Jesus was God and he became man right? to suffer uh, for us and with us. And with us. So when you go through hard, life-shaking, changing things, Jesus has walked through loss, betrayal, abandonment, death. And because he's gone before us in those things, that's an invitation to trust him. And Rather than running away from him and into all of these other things, what God is inviting us to do is actually lean into him. Right? He says, I've been here. I've experienced this. You can trust me. And I have, re- and I have resolved it because it doesn't end. The, the resurrection and the ascension are also part of our story. Because the scripture describes Jesus now being at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you. Like he is engaged still in the things that are concerning to you. So I would just, the Christian story is both deeper and more hopeful than any of these other stories, right? It's not just this physical, scientific, chemical reaction. You're made actually in the image of God. Our problem just isn't selfishness or closed-mindedness or intolerance or the fact that we make mistakes, our problem is actually much deeper than that. We're rebelling against 
our creator and the God who made us. And we're broken to the core. And it's a conflict that we can't fix. We need a hero from outside of ourselves. And the, the great hope of the Christian story is also that it's much broader than all of these other stories. Yes. For atheism, your story ends when you go in the ground. Right. For Christianity, um, that's the beginning of a new stage of life that's never going to end. And so the story that Christianity tells is actually much deeper and it extends uh, much broader than any of these other stories. It's a bigger, fuller, richer, more joyful, and in some ways more sad story than all of these other isms can tell. They tell you a, a piece of it, um, but Christianity tells a more complete story. It tells the whole story. So in these last few minutes, um, I want to draw us to something, I think, else that should shape us. Um, in Colossians, the book of Colossians, one of the issues that's being dealt here is all of these different ways of thinking, these philosophies that are being addressed and presented. And there's this admonition to us as followers. It says, beware that no one distracts you. And I love this translation, the Passion Translation. He says, or intimidate you by pretending to be full of wisdom when they're just filled with endless arguments of human logic. For they operate with humanistic and clouded judgment because it's based on the mindset of this world system. Their world view is what is wrong. That's why I wanted to spend time today adjusting our world view. We had to keep saying today, you are good, until we finally started to believe it again. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right? You just say it because that puts you in alignment. See, these other systems are based in a worldview, listen, that doesn't offer, and it doesn't matter, not just these three, all of the ones that we've looked at over these weeks. You tell me. Answer the question whether or not they offer help or hope. Which system offers help and hope? Jesus answers this question. Uh, in your Bibles, this would, this would be a fun thing. Oh, turn over to John 14. I want to show you something that only in studying in this, as we've been walking through the, um, the kingdom of we, as we've been operating through today, I want to I want to tie something up. John fourteen six, very simple thing, right? I am the anybody, the way, the and the life. Look at how this is broken down. Why Jesus is the answer? I am the way. He is the answer to our will problem. There's no other way to the Father but through Him. Now, you just have to decide whether or not you will yield or not. It's an answer of the will. It solves the answer of the will. I am the truth. That answers the intellectual challenge that people have in their soul. When you just can't make sense, it's the issue of trust. This is where faith comes in. It's not a blind faith where we just accept. It's an acknowledgement that says, I don't have all of the answers, but not having all of the answers isn't the thing that prevents me 
from finding hope. It solves the intellectual problem and the life that deals with that emotional issue that we deal with. Because there is a lot of, uh, the woundedness that most of us carry in our soul is not in our, our brains because we're not thinking right. or it, It's because there are these issues that we haven't yet been able to resolve. And I just want to promise you that Jesus says, I have the answer for us. And the answer is found in just a few verses later. Jesus says this, Whoever loves me will be loved by my Father. I love this. And I will do what? Love them. And what else? Christianity is the only one where the more that you pursue the object of your faith, the clearer they become. So as we kind of wrap up today, Aaron, what's your what's your kind of final thought? What's your what's your big idea for us as we've looked at these issues? The most convicting thing when I was studying this was on an atheist website. It said if you do not have an active faith in God, you're an atheist. Something you don't believe in God is are you actively trusting in him? If you're not actively trusting in him, you're actively trusting in something else. Hmm. And the big idea um, is on the screen. It's that Christianity stands opposed to these three isms because it calls us to die to ourself, to not trust in ourself, to not be self-reliant, but rather to trust in God. And that as we trust in God and as we remember his story that he's telling us, that we're created in, in his image, that we're deeply broken and sinful, um, that should humble us, but at the same time, we should be greatly encouraged because he also loves us more than we can ever imagine. That he came to earth and stepped into our pain and suffering to demonstrate his love for us. And so as a Christian, trusting in God should bring great humility and great confidence at the same time. Yeah, We're broken, but we're being rebuilt. And that provides uh, deep, meaningful, and joyful um, answers to life's journey. They don't come easy. It's a journey. And they don't happen all at once. It's a journey. But God is calling us to actively trust him with our lives. Um, I was reading again over these last few weeks uh, the author C.S. Lewis. Um, and uh, if you have not yet read Mere Christianity, M-E-R-E, -E, Christianity, um, after reading the scripture, <laughs> please read the Bible first. Please read it from cover to cover before we start focusing on Jesus calling and whatever is your favorite devotional or all of these other, like get to know the person in the book first. But as you, I would encourage you to read Mere Christianity it's the story of this uh, gentleman, this philosopher, scientist, uh, educator, who finds himself coming to faith. And uh, he has this very beautiful summary where he says, I believe in Christianity in the same way that I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And by being people of faith. It's not about us being 
prepared to argue. Our faith, we are called to believe. Our faith, we are called to love. Our faith, we are called to extend hope and help to those who need it. And that's why Jesus is the, is the answer. <laughs>